This podcast is brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Our mission is to accelerate breakthroughs in life-saving cancer research and empower people everywhere to conquer cancer. You can help by donating at conquer.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Your Stories, a podcast where we hear candid stories from people conquering cancer. I'm your host, Brenda Brody. Surviving cancer brings the highest highs, joy, gratitude, relief, and the lowest of lows, crippling anxiety, lingering side effects from treatment, and for some, even guilt. Bethany Hart was pregnant when she was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of cervical cancer. Before her treatment ended, Bethany lost the baby she was carrying, a daughter she and her husband named Hallie. Bethany, thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I want to just say my condolences to you. I can't imagine what it must have been like as a mother to be pregnant, to find out you have cancer, and then you lose your child. So I send my deepest condolences. Thank you. So it's a pretty wild story, isn't it? Oh, I can't even fathom it as a mother. I can't even imagine you're young. You've got all your life ahead of you. You've got a gorgeous husband and you've got the biggest joy in one's life about to happen to you. And that's have a baby. How did you find out that you had cancer? And then how did you lose Hallie? Can you walk me through what transpired? It literally was a complete shock and surprise to us. We always joked that we would be the ones that would get pregnant really fast. And it was really important for us to go on like one last big trip together because we, we just have a lot of fun together. So we went to Mexico in June. Then our best friends got married in July. And we always joked we'd get pregnant really fast. And sure enough, by the end of July, we were pregnant. And so we were like shocked. So I surprised him with a little baby Blackhawks jersey and I wrote him a card saying like, remember how we joked about this would happen fast? Well, you're going to be a dad. And I just remember like the look of shock at his face, like how did that even happen? So I think we like awkwardly high five, like go us. And then, you know, the process starts. So you wait weeks for that first appointment. You're so excited. Obviously it was our first pregnancy. We finally went to the doctor and then for anybody that's pregnant knows, I mean, you're at the doctor pretty consistently through the beginning and there were zero red flags. Everything was healthy. Everything was normal. We were so excited. That was in August, end of August, I think, when we had those first appointments. They did do a pap smear, I think the first appointment. And maybe like three or four weeks later, a nurse called me. I remember vividly where I was in the office. Um, that office was forever scarred for me. But she said like, hey, came back abnormal. But her exact words were, you're pregnant. Pregnancy does crazy things to your body. So like, let's not worry about it. We'll bring you in once you're in your second trimester just to make sure. But like, no concerns. And I remember like hanging up and calling my mom right away, talked to a few of my girlfriends who had similar situations. And I had had pap smears every single year. So, and nothing ever was abnormal about them. So my mom gave me the advice, you just got to put it in a box. It's not worth stressing about, you can't do anything about it right now. So we went on our way. We didn't announce our pregnancy. I think deep down, I had some sort of just like nagging intuition. Mm -hmm. And then it was probably around week 14 where my husband was like, let's just do it. Worst case scenario, which isn't going to happen. Worst case something happens, we're going to need the support of our people anyway. So like, let's just do it. And so we did. We did a little announcement, the cute little shoes. And, you know, everybody was over the mood for us. It was really cool to kind of bask in all the joy that everyone shared. 
So we had about two weeks of joy. <laughs> and then at week 16, I went in, it was a Friday. My OB did a colposcopy and the, the exam lasted maybe two seconds. And I was like, that's not a good sign. But her words to me were like, listen, like I look at normal all day. This doesn't look normal to me. I want you to go to a doctor that looks at abnormal. I'm thinking just some sort of specialist. And she goes, don't freak out, but it's going to be an oncologist. I was so confused at that point because one, cancer doesn't happen to you. Healthy my entire life. I mean, the worst I've ever done is like broken a few bones. I mean, to be totally honest, Kevin and I, it wasn't even on our radar. Even though we were going to see an oncologist, there were no red flags, no alarms sounding in our mind. We were completely naive. How old are you at that? I just turned 30, July 3rd. And this was all October. So I called my mom and my mom's like, you know, let me drive you to your appointment on Monday. And I was like, no, mom. And oh yeah, this is the other red flag. They made the appointment for like first thing Monday morning, but nothing. Like I didn't even connect the dots. And she insisted. And I just kept saying to her like, no, mom, like save your PTO. Like let's keep it for when the baby comes. And she just insisted on driving us. So she drove us. We went back for the appointment and the doctor had like four or five medical students in there. And he's like, do you want to watch? And I was like, no, I'm already like an awkward girl, but like, no, I'm good. So like, because there was a big screen to my right. And it was a pretty traumatic experience. I'm sure he had the best of intentions, but I think it just didn't go well. Before I could even put my clothes back on or sit back up, he just said, this is cancer. You're going to lose your baby. She's not going to survive this. You'll never have kids again. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it was one sentence. And I remember vividly just like the quiet, like the, just the shock of like, can you just go back to that first word? Those are three very, very big things to wrap your mind around, let alone all together at once. I remember like my husband was just like gripping me. I'll never forget that feeling. And then the nurse said, is that your mom out there? Do you want her to come back? And I was like, yes. You're never too old to need your mom in those moments. Absolutely. And they brought her in. And I mean, she just instantly threw up when they told her because it was just, how did this just happen? It was like we had everything, all things considered. Kevin and I were just in a really great place. We had this family that we were so excited. We were halfway there. like, And then within 30 seconds, it was everything was gone. And so I was diagnosed with small cell cervical cancer, which is, I think it accounts for like less than 1%. It's a very rare, very aggressive cancer. There's no precancerous state to it, which is why it doesn't have good outcomes. Did they feel you would have been diagnosed had you not been pregnant? There's no chance I'd be here if I wasn't pregnant. Oh my goodness. The outcomes are so poor because by the time the cancer is usually discovered, this type of cancer, it's already too late. And then three weeks later is when we lost our daughter. So we lost her at 19 weeks. So, you know, obviously when it comes to cancer, survivor's guilt is a very big component of survivorship. When you're going through this, you meet people with the same cancer. You become a family. You meet people at the hospital, at the cancer center, and, and then you lose those people. And, and so it's very, very hard as a survivor to reconcile, how do I complain about hip pain from pelvic radiation when so-and-so is no longer with us? But then for me, you know, it's even a step further of just this additional layer of we lost our daughter, but I'm here. And the only reason we lost her is because of cancer, but I lived. And those are impossible emotions to reconcile because no parent should ever lose a child. Nobody should ever lose anyone, but like, especially losing a child, especially a mom, like that's our one job is to protect our kids. And I wasn't able to do that. And so it was very hard and it's still, it will be forever for me, but like, especially in those years right after it was it was a dark time. That's for I can't imagine because all of us that have recovered, I don't know if you know, I'm a breast cancer survivor and 
I hate complaining, even though I have so many side effects, because I look at all those that I have lost since to cancer. So I understand that guilt you're talking about. And then that extra layer you talk about of having a child who didn't make it and you did. I can't imagine the pain and anxiety you must deal with. What are you doing? What tools are you using to help yourself on a daily, weekly, monthly basis get through that pain? I mean, initially I did shut down. I'm very much the caregiver in life. I'm very much like the energetic one. Like it was always me taking care of people. And so I think what hurt me so much was how fast it all happened. I just clammed up. And then you go into the treatment regimen and like you don't have time to process. You don't have time to think. You know, I wasn't therapy during treatment, but it was very much therapy to get through treatment. It was not dealing with the loss of Hallie. And then once I was cancer free, then you you want nothing to do with doctors or hospitals or anything for a good stretch of time because you just want to be free of it all. It probably wasn't until about six months later when I realized like, Bethany, putting a smile, pretending everything's okay is not going to get you through this situation. And I finally got into therapy specifically for PTSD, for the loss of Hallie, for the loss of everything. I mean, there was just so much grief for how it changed our marriage, how it changed all of our relationships. Like everything changes with cancer. And so that became my outlet and I would not have survived without it. And it took years for me to really come out of it in a place that I felt equipped to like tackle life again or felt like the new Bethany. I mean, I'm still in therapy now just because there will forever be layers to what we went through and what we continue as survivors to go through every time we have doctor's appointments and scans and aches that, you know, we naturally make stage four cancer in our mind. But luckily, most of the oncologists that I've dealt with are very sensitive to us coming back over and over again for every little ache, pain, muscle pain. So that is the good news. It sounds like you have a wonderful oncologist now who's helping you through that and treating the whole person. Getting help is key. And so many of us have a hard time, especially those that are driven and fixers and take care of others about reaching out and getting the help. But I'm really proud of you that not only did you get the help, but you're continuing to explore what that is because being a survivor, it's a club no one wants to be in, but there's a lot of gifts that have come out of this for me. I don't know if you feel that way, but it's a club that is constantly needing support because forever, you know, we are changed as humans. I could not agree more. I I say that all the time that it It is not a club that you want to be in, but once you are in it, it is the most incredible community. And I think it's because it's such a vulnerable community. I I often joke that once you're a cancer survivor, especially breast or cervical cancer, like you really have no shame, nothing left to uh, the imagination for what you go through every every appointment. And so like, I think we just naturally become oversharers because it's just us. But I think there's just this level of vulnerability that people share When you face your own mortality, whether you're 30, 50, 10, whatever it is, you just connect in just deeper ways automatically. And, you know, that's one of my biggest pieces of advice is when I meet people going through it now is you have to find people. I I had such an incredible amount of support around me. I come from a big family. I have most amazing friends that just step in and did for me. But like, if you're talking to somebody that hasn't been through it, you have to kind of give that backstory or you have to kind of try to like help them understand what it feels like. Whereas if you connect with people, one, specifically with the same cancer as you, but to anybody in the cancer community, you get to just skip to like the feelings. You get to skip to the sucks. And like, you need that validation. And I still do. Like, 
I'm spying your pizza free in November. Fantastic. And I still use my, you know, she's a dear friend now, but we always joke, I call her my cancer friend in the beginning when I first met her. I mean, we still bounce things off of each other. Like, does this seem normal? Are you okay? I'm just having a really hard day today. And it's a lifesaver for sure. Are there any other tips that you have for folks going through the process of reckoning with the guilt they feel that they did survive? This is oversimplifying it, but you just have to talk about it. I didn't realize how far down the rabbit hole of survivor's guilt that I was until I was at an appointment one time with my oncologist who, yes, I love dearly. We found a new one. It ended up being the same diagnosis, same treatment, same everything. But I'll tell the quick story. It was during treatment at one time I heard him out in the hallway. And, you know, I'm saying they always have their med students that are teaching, which I think is great. I, I love being a part of that, especially when I am that rare case. Like, I know it's a good opportunity for them to learn. But I heard him say to one of the students, like, take care of her in there. That's my girl. And I'm like, that's how it should be. Like, you have to have somebody that that you consider family almost because they're the ones saving your life. But all that to say, I, you know, my biggest piece of advice is you have to talk because I was at an appointment. And I had all sorts of hip pain, pelvic floor stuff, like you name it, like the radiation just fried me. And then you add the chemo stuff on top of it. And I did them together. And my oncologist said at the beginning, like doing these two things together is going to be a massive strain on your body. But like, we believe in you, we can do this. And we have to, his words were, throw the kitchen sink at this for your chance to survive. And I was like, let's go. And I remember, you know, they asked that initial question of like, how are we doing? What's going on? My initial reaction was, I'm good. And nothing to complain about here. And he stopped me. He goes, I need you to complain. Like, I need you to tell me how you're really doing. And that just unlocked this whole new perspective for me. Because I was like, well, are you ready for it? Out of well, the gift he gave you. And I had no idea until looking back on it. Because out of that came referrals for physical therapy, for pelvic floor therapy, physical therapy. I was able to get injections for the hip pain. Like, it unlocked all of this help that massively helped my quality of life and gone was the guilt. Like, you know, I also think there's just this level of your fear of being a hypochondriac. Well, I can't say anything because like, I think it's cancer, but then it's not like, it's just a mind game constantly being a survivor. And it was like just this validation that I didn't know I needed to be like, Bethany, of course you've hurt. Like, let me remind you what your body went through. That just changed my whole course. And it would have never have happened if I didn't just talk about it. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson for all because we go through so much, we don't want to complain during it. And without knowing the details, what a gift he gave you to say, no, 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 I need to know what's going on. I need to know what's wrong. That's a a great lesson for all of us. I heard that you had mismatched socks for your first round of treatment. Can you give me a scoop on what the heck that's about? I had surgery at a radical hysterectomy on November 3rd and then had six weeks to recover from that and then started chemo radiation in the beginning of December. So I was getting my port put in and my mom took me and I had worn mismatched socks to the hospital. And, you know, God forbid you do such a thing because, you know, there was nothing else on my mind. It's funny because that day my nurse was Kevin, go figure, just my husband's name. And they were just giving, I mean, it was all in good fun, but they were giving that art time of like, how could you? So my mom took a picture of it and we obviously had a blog at the time. It was just a lot easier of an avenue to keep everybody updated than trying to respond because that gets really hard really fast. And so she posted a picture. So when I came back from surgery, I was like, man, mom, running a hardship 
And then it was funny because, you know, people are just so generous and they look to do anything they can to be there for you if you're like, So I think after that was posted in the coming weeks, I I started getting socks in the mail from friends and family. And it was fun because then, you know, fast forward when Kibo started, socks are super important because it's super And when you're in the hospital, I was in the hospital, neutropenic ones, like a lot of times it's the only thing of your own that you can wear. And I would wear these socks and I would be like, like, I would just remember who sent them to me. And I, it's hard to articulate, but it's just like this feeling of like, they care or like they took time out of their day to put these in the mail and like, I can get through this day for it. Um, So it was like, it was a cool little story that came of it. I love the fact that you used humor to help you get through. I think that for me as well, it's such an important thing during such a really hard time and good for your mother for also, she probably needed the release as well. What have you done since with this whole concept? I heard you taking it to new heights and new levels, helping others in socks. So when I was sitting in the chemo chair, those are long days. You know, everybody has their own way of coping. For me personally with losing Callie, since I was going to miss out on a lifetime with her, I knew and a lot of that guilt that I just felt of like, and just sadness, just so many emotions, grief. Like I just knew that in order for me to make something of this, like I'm here for a reason. So like, let's figure out what that reason is. How can I serve people in a way that like I was served and like that made me feel really good going through this horrible time in my life. And so I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to do some sort of foundation in her memory to keep her legacy alive. And it all started to connect for me. because, like I, the socks and then like knowing that feeling that somebody cared when I wore them and like being able to like remember the funny socks. Like my mom, for example, got me a hilarious pair of inappropriate socks that had the socks to how we feel about cancer. And that's very not like her. So the fact that she went out of her way to kind of, you know, say those words. I'm like, fantastic. And I still have those socks to this day. They're like the most meaningful thing to me. So anyways, fast forward, we created a foundation. It's called the Hallie Strong Foundation in her of our daughter, where we send care packages of socks to cancer patients. Oh, uh, that is fantastic. It's completely free of charge. And I feel very passionately about that. Just make it as easy as possible. So either patients can come on and request them for themselves or somebody can nominate a loved one in their life. And we do our best, yes, cheesy jokes, because humor does solve all, I swear, but we do our best to find the perfect match of socks. So, I mean, anything from, we have sports socks, we have elbow, we have, I mean, it's just, you can tell I have a two-year-old in my house. Any kind of sock that you can imagine, there's a billion types. There's funny, there's vulgar, there's love it. We do our best just to bring a little light to those really dark days for cancer patients. Good for you for taking a difficult thing and creating something, helping others. I don't want to gloss over. You said you have a two-year-old in the house. So tell us what has happened since your traumatic experience of not only losing Hallie, but going through a really rough time with cancer. Do you have a, a child in the house? We do. So I am definitely at a point where the silver linings have definitely unfolded and there's just a lot of joy. So we obviously, you know, having the family was what we looked forward to. And we were so, so close to having it when we lost Hallie that we knew adoption was going to be our path. And so we quickly after I finished treatment, we connected with an agency, got all, you know, it's a lot of work process. And Kelly is our son. He's two and a half. So we had two two failed adoptions. And ultimately it was two years until we were matched with Kelly's birth mom. Within those two years, those two failed matches. I mean, talk about dark times where it was just like, how much more can we go through? How much more can we be tested? Because those feel like losses too of 
you get attached in different, you know, for different, different lengths of times and every adoption story is different, but like those were both two children that we were ready to drive to the hospital for. And then the circumstances played out differently. But then it was May of 2019. We got a call that we were matched with Kelly's birth mom. We met her for lunch. And then one of the things that I grieved more than anything was not being able to have that experience in the delivery room with Kevin. I think if you were to ask what is probably one of the rawest, most vulnerable things that we feel that. And when the social worker called to tell us about the match, the first thing she said after kind of telling us about the situation was, and she wants you to be in the delivery room with her. And I started sobbing because I'm like, I just knew. Like adoption is the leap of faith and it's the hardest thing. But like I knew no matter how tumultuous it was going to get, I knew in that moment that this little child was meant to be ours. So I got to be in the delivery room when he was born and it was just the most special thing. So he's two and a half now. He's the coolest little dude ever. That's fantastic. And then fast forward to this year. So we decided we wanted to grow our family again. And it's funny how every story is different. So we went on profile in February and in April, same thing. We got a call on a Monday that we were matched with a little baby. That situation didn't work out. But if you do the math, that was only, what, three months as opposed to two years. (laughs) So we were like, whoa, this is going to be like, wow. Like that just kind of jolted us. um, That could happen fast. (laughs) So like we kind of settled back in of like, okay, that wasn't meant to be. But I think we had a lot more perspective this time around because Kelly is so perfectly meant to be ours. And so we just have faith that like, no matter what is meant to be, it'll play out no matter when it happens. And so we figured it would be a couple of months since we had gotten a call. Like we just kind of settled back into life. And it was literally the next Monday, our lawyers called again and said, hey, I thought they were calling to follow up on last week's situation. And they're like, you've been selected by a birth mom. And they're like, wow. It was, I mean, this was May at this point, I think it was. And our son Brantley was born June 7th. And the really cool thing about this is this time Kevin and I both got to be in the delivery room. His birth mom was so, so kind to let us be part of that. Kevin got to cut Brantley's umbilical cord. So now just like that, we have a two and a half year old and a seven month old. Congratulations. Well, that is just the silver lining in all of this. This is fantastic. Congratulations. And I don't know if like, I'm sure everybody has an element of this, but I think it's heightened because of what we've been through. But at least four or five times a day, I just pause. I'm like, I just can't believe that we're here now. Like, yeah, parenthood is hard, but I'm getting wrong. <laughs> but like, there's just so much joy and so much gratitude for what this life has unfolded into. Obviously, I would love to have Pally here. It was hard at first to kind of reconcile. How do you be joyful with mm-hmm. what you got versus what you lost? Uh, sure, I can't imagine. But, you know, that's where that therapy continues to come in. That's where my great support system comes in to give me that perspective that it's not one or the other. It's there's space for everything. Like you can grieve Hallie always and you will. And you can be so, 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 so grateful for these two incredible little boys that you have now. And like, I can't believe it. I can't believe that we're on this side of it. That's fantastic. What an inspiration you are to so many. I mean, you didn't give up and you kept going and you're honoring Hallie's memory and creating a wonderful life for you and your family. It's fantastic. Let me ask one question that's on my mind, because I see it happen, you know, I'm a little older than you, but I see it happen when I apply for long-term insurance and the cancer card dings me all the time. And I'm just curious, when you were adopting, did you have to reveal that you had cancer? And was that something that held people back at times? Great question. I'm part of a Facebook group of women that all have the same kind of cancer as I do. And obviously, 
pretty much every woman that goes through this cancer loses their ability to have children. And there's a lot of really young women. So I remember asking the question pretty early on, has anybody adopted? Does anybody have any experience? And somebody had given me this horror story of an agency that they worked with that they like wrote back very callously because you had cancer, you reduced life expectancy, we can't work with you. People think that way. Like, of course, I know. Rationally, I get it. But like anybody could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like who has guaranteed days? Nobody. So I was very upfront from the beginning when we were doing a lot of our research about which there's so many agencies to work with. And there's a lot of reasons, you know, I think there's really, really great agencies. But as with anything in the world, you got to sort through some noise. Yeah. Uh, And so the first agency that we used, it was a much smaller. And I was just very upfront from the beginning. Like, if you're going to tell me you can't work with me, let me know. And they were so, so gracious. Everybody has to go through physicals and things of that nature to become an adoptive parent. But I obviously had to provide documentation from my oncologist that I was healthy, that, you know, my prognosis was good. And they were so gracious. And then we moved between Kelly and Brantley. So we used a different set of lawyers for the second time and same thing. They were so gracious with me. I had to provide the same sort of documentation. I love hearing that because I I face roadblocks every once in a while. And I can imagine that you went through the same. So that's really important for people to hear. Okay. Well, my last question is, how are you conquering cancer? That's a good question. You know, I think now for me specifically, again, everybody finds their place post-cancer. Everybody finds their ways to cope. I think I am conquering cancer by one, just keeping perspective on life every single day of what truly matters, what's truly important. I think I conquer cancer by just finding the humor in life and finding the silver linings constantly, even when it is so, so hard. But ultimately, I think I'm conquering cancer just with our foundation. I've had so many opportunities to connect with so many people that have walked in the shoes that I've walked in. And it's even just brief interactions or or a simple pair of socks, like to know that you're connecting in those ways and to know that Hallie's legacy is spreading every day because of that, that definitely has brought a lot of purpose to a lot of pain that we've been through. So that's probably my biggest thing. Well, I would say that is a wonderful note to end on. You provide perspective and hope and the fact that you're giving back to others will forever come back twofold to you. So congratulations on being a survivor and best wishes with your beautiful family. I loved this time with you. I can't thank you enough. And I can't wait to go on your site and provide some funny socks for somebody. Yes, please do. We will happily send as many socks as we can. We sent 1,234 care packages last year. So that's uh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to helping you increase that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care and be well. You too. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. For doctors approved patient information, please visit cancer.net which is supported by Conquer Cancer donors. Conquer Cancer is creating a world where cancer is prevented or cured and every survivor is healthy. You can help by donating now at conquer.org forward slash podcast. The participants of this podcast report no conflicts of interest relevant to this podcast. Full disclosures can be found on the episode page on conquer.org. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. 
Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.